0: Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 46. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word nor from that day forth did anyone dare question him any more. Our Gospel passage opens during the last hours of Jesus' ministry on the earth. He is coming to the end of his mission and his enemies are closing in on him. Yet never did our Lord Jesus stand out in such matchless wisdom than in this dark hour, just a few days before his death. The Pharisees and Jewish leaders had come to him with the challenge of unbelief to question his authority. He replied with such wisdom that he put them to silence. He gagged them is the literal rendering of verse 34 in our passage. Now something the scribes and Pharisees loved to do was have debates and endless discussions about the nuances of the law and commandments. The law and commandments refer to all the commands of God in the Old Testament. The scribes and teachers of the law had debates about which of these laws were more important than others. For example, is the law of tithing as important as the law not to commit murder? To us in the 21st century, the answer is straightforward. Of course, it is a worse thing to murder someone than to forget to tithe. But the Jews were caught up in external conformity to religious regulations. Their hearts were not directed to fear and love God, so they focused on outward religious law-keeping and the minutia of each regulation and commandment. A lawyer comes to Jesus to test him like a judge cross-examining a suspected heretic. Jesus' answer is very clear. He goes right deep down below the surface of the statement of the law to the heart of everything. Love for God. Undivided, total love for God is the greatest and the first commandment. This is what God meant when he gave us the first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God deserves and demands exclusive love and loyalty. Notice that Jesus shifts the center of the commandment from conduct to character, from deeds to affections. Descartes, the famous French philosopher, said, I think, therefore I am. Rousseau, the philosopher, said, I feel, therefore I am. Jesus Christ said, I love completely and sacrificially, therefore I am. God is pure love. The Lord Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the manifestation of God's love on the earth. Therefore, he is the complete revelation of love. There are always two loves which compete within our souls, love of self and love of God. All our character and conduct are determined by whichever love sways us. We need to remember that all our choices are made according to the prevailing desire at the moment of choice. And what controls our prevailing desire is what we love. If we love God, we will desire to choose rightly and wisely what is righteous and good. If we don't love God... We will choose according to our own selfish desires, lusts, and inclinations. Notice also that the Hebrew word means not all, but whole or entire. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, and with thy whole soul, and with thy whole mind. It's the difference between quantity and quality. All the heart is quantity The whole entire heart is quality. The same noun is used in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. It's not bring all the tithes, because it's possible to bring all the tithes mechanically, dutifully, without the right motivation of love for God, which ought to motivate our tithing. Remember that the purpose of tithing is to give to God a spiritual offering as an expression of obedient love. The spiritual symbol of loving obedience is the important thing. When we tithe, we are giving the first and best of our resources to the work of the Church out of a sense of love and thanksgiving to God. We bring the whole tithe to God. We also give our whole hearts in love for God. The bottom line is that real love for God is wholehearted, whole-souled, and whole-minded. It must be all in all or not at all. Some of you enjoy watching football. Wholehearted, whole-souled devotion for God is sort of like a Hail Mary football pass. There are five seconds to go in the game. The quarterback drops back and fires with all his might. The team runs into the end zone, touchdown. They gave their all a wholehearted effort, and the result was they won the game. So it is with the great commandment to love God. But this leads immediately to a problem, doesn't it? We can't love God unless we know Him in a vital, personal way. Many modern people think of God as an intelligent cause or a spiritual power, but they have no real love and affection for the true and living God revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They may have respect, admiration, or fear of God, but no warm, loving affection and inner feeling from the heart. Modern science has demonstrated intelligent design that we live in a fine-tuned world created by God with purpose and meaning. But in order to love God, we must move beyond intelligent design to the glory and beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, God in the flesh. Jesus is the full manifestation and revelation of God. Jesus is wonderful, counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is beautiful beyond all words. If we are to obey the commandment to love God, we must fall deeply in love with the Lord Jesus. There's a song we used to sing when I was a teenager. I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. It was a wonderful little song that we sang as young people to remind us to keep on loving our Lord Jesus as each day goes by. Some people have trouble loving God because they suffer from mistaken notions of God. Their idea of God comes not from the truth of Scripture, from the great heart of Jesus revealed in the Bible, but from their own unresolved emotional brokenness. Some people grew up in love-deprived homes with emotionally distant parents. The mother or father, for whatever reason, were uninvolved, controlling, or absent, and the love needs of the growing child were not met. Absence of love creates hurt, pain, and disappointment, and that hurt, pain, and disappointment is easily transferred upwards to God. God becomes the negative parent. We see Him as stern, cold, unloving, and waiting to punish anyone who breaks His laws. This keeps us from deeply loving Him. We must come to see God as He really is— a kind, generous, warm, loving Father who deeply cares for us and desires our very best. 1 John 4.8 says, God is love. That is His very nature and essence. God's love for us started in Genesis when He created us in His own image, able to receive His love and live in communion with Him. Then when Adam disobeyed God and separated from him, God's love is seen in the whole story of man's restoration and reconciliation. All through the salvation story, God calls to man, not as a threatening policeman, but as a tender, kind, loving father whose heart is broken because of his wayward children. God is love, is the central message of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So then, how do we come to know that God is love? Not by speculation, not by intellectual study, but by obedience. St. Seraphim, a godly Russian priest, 1754-1833, to 1833, says, Obedience is love. Disobedience is non-love. Never decline from obedience. The Lord Jesus calls us to follow Him, believe on Him, and obey Him, not to be convinced of a truth about Him in our heads, but to trust Him and lean entirely upon Him deeply within our hearts. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty-one, He who has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me. He also said in John thirteen seventeen, If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Head knowledge of God and of the Christian life is never enough. God looks always for obedience of the heart. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. We must taste and see, we must put into practice and obey what God says before we will experience the reality of His love. The Lord can be loved only as He is known. He can be known only as He is obeyed. The second commandment is love for neighbor. The two commandments are really two sides of the same coin. They go together and the second is second because it is a consequence of the first. What is it that inspires love for my neighbor? Only the love of God. This is the problem, friends, with all modern voices clamoring that we love one another. Love makes the world go round all you need is love and all such expressions the only thing that will inspire true love for neighbor is first genuine love for god we can't have brotherhood among men until we first have god's fatherhood as its true foundation when we first love god then we will love those who are the objects of god's love When I realize that my neighbor is dear to God's heart, then my love will go out to my neighbor. In the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 9, King David asks Ziba, a servant in Saul's house, is there anyone in the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David deeply loved Jonathan. Therefore, he wanted to show love to those whom Jonathan loved. When we deeply love God, we'll want to show love to any child of God whom we will love for his sake. You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson, bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Notice that Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There has been a great deal of unwholesome teaching over the past few decades about the topic of loving yourself. I've even heard pastors from church pulpits say that we can't love others properly until we first love ourselves. Dear friends, this is nonsense. It amounts to a third commandment. Love God first, love yourself second, and then love your neighbor third. Jesus isn't adding a third commandment or a precondition for loving others. He simply says, love your neighbor as you already love yourself. We all naturally do love ourselves, don't we? We provide for ourselves, we take care of ourselves, we give ourselves food and water and sleep. Jesus didn't say we're to love others after we first love ourselves. This is what some modern Christians influenced by psychology read into this passage. Jesus says that we ought to love, provide, and take care of our neighbor just as we already do love, provide, and take care of ourselves. True love of self sees as an enemy anything that keeps me from flourishing physically or spiritually. True love of neighbor sees as an enemy anything that keeps my neighbor from flourishing physically or spiritually. Then Jesus says in verse 40, On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. In other words, the whole ancient Mosaic economy, the whole Old Testament, is fulfilled by the man who loves God and his neighbor. All the prophets, with their denunciation of sin and their call to personal holiness, are obeyed by someone who wholeheartedly loves God and loves his neighbor. Now, it's important to admit that loving God and neighbor is impossible on the natural level in and of our own resources. But loving God and neighbor is as natural as breathing when we abide in God's love and God abides in us. This is the glorious promise of 1 John four sixteen, And we have come to know and have believed the love God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Beloved, there are many exemplary Christians through the ages who have shown us how to love God and neighbor. Both the Old and New Testaments are full of people who loved God and neighbor. In the 1st century, 11 of the 12 apostles died as martyrs because of love for God and neighbor. In the 2nd through 15th centuries, men and women suffered horrendous tortures and persecution for love of God and neighbor. They were tied to racehorses and dragged to death, torn limb from limb by wild beasts in the Colosseums, burned alive at the stake, stretched upon the torturer's rack and caused to suffer in merciless, inhuman ways, all because of deep, abiding love for God and neighbor. In the 20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and other German Christians stood up against Hitler because of love for God and neighbor. Mother Teresa and her nuns steadily cared for the poor of India because of love for God and neighbor. William Wilberforce stood up against slavery in England and America because of love for God and neighbor. In the 1950s, a Russian Jew named Boris Cornfield was wrongly imprisoned in one of Stalin's concentration camps. While he was in the concentration camp, he miraculously became a Christian. The love of God filled Boris Cornfield's heart. Knowing and loving Christ profoundly changed him so that he began to tell others of what God had done for him. Boris was a doctor, so he was assigned to the prison hospital. One day he examined a man who had been operated on for intestinal cancer. He noticed a depth of spiritual misery and emptiness in his eyes, and so he told the man recovering the story of Jesus' love and urged him to become a Christian. All through the afternoon and evening, Cornfield poured out his heart to this patient. He explained how he had come to know and love the true and living God through Jesus Christ the Lord and how his life was radically changed by God's grace. The patient lying in the bed was Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who became a Christian as the result of Cornfield's testimony. Solzhenitsyn went on to become one of the greatest writers and champions of Orthodox Christianity in the 20th century, yet another spiritual giant who loved God and his neighbor. Now, when we examine the lives of the saints and see their love for God and neighbor, it is easy to become discouraged. It's easy to say, well, I don't love like that. My heart, mind, and life are small and weak. These other Christians experience the greatness of God's love. How can I do the same? It is true, beloved, that all things considered, we are small, weak, and feeble. We are limited and finite. But God is unlimited and infinite. He is asking for your small heart your weak life, and your feeble mind. He doesn't ask you to love him as someone else loves. He asks you to love him with all your whole being. In our weakness and poverty, we may come to God in answer to his welcoming love, and he will pour his love through us to love him and our neighbor. That is all God asks. Now, how do we do this? How do we actually love God and neighbor in our practical daily life? First, by increasing our capacity for wonder and gratitude. Abraham Heschel, 1907-1972, was one of the great Jewish rabbis. He said, What we cannot comprehend by analysis, we become aware of in awe. The sublime grandeur of God evokes unflinching awe. Our hearts become heavy with gratitude and wonder. Beloved, we must turn off technology. Silence the television and the radio. Get outside into the beauty and glory of creation and see God's presence in what He has made. We need to see the glory and beauty of Jesus and keep looking at Him. Let the sheer wonder of His love fill your soul. The hymn writer says, The wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. Another hymn writer says, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free rolling like a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. All around me, underneath me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward, to my glorious rest above. Let your mind be filled with the wonder of God's love, and he will pour that love through you to others. Then second, remember that we bring Christ's love to our neighbors one by one as individuals, never in mass. It is foolish to try to restore the world to Christ through large group programs. The gospel doesn't work that way. Not long ago, I read the story of the conversion of a woman from communism to Christianity. She said, I had been used to the mass movement techniques of communism. I had thought of groups, nations, and classes. Now I thought in terms of a single man or woman. Jesus' way is love to reach individuals one by one. We restore the world to Christ person by person, one at a time, beginning with ourselves. The gospel of love is lived out and proclaimed by one person to another. This is the way the love of God is transmitted. C.S. Lewis said, Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. When you behave as if you loved your neighbor, you will presently come to love him. Amen. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at GodetMinistries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E Ministries. O-R-G. This gospel outreach is entirely listener-supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.